What is happening in Israel, and why is it important for us as Christians today? Find out on today's episode of A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here today with co-host Joseph Kerr, and we have a special program for you today. With war raging in the Middle East, many have questions concerning how the conflict may connect with our faith. To answer, we are joined today by Shelly Neese, president of the Jerusalem Connection, a nonprofit organization based out of Washington, D.C., whose mission is to inform, educate, and mobilize support for Israel and the Jewish people. Let me share a little bit about Shelly. Shelly lived in Israel for several years, where she learned conversational Hebrew and received a graduate degree in Middle Eastern Studies from Ben-Gurion University. Her articles have appeared in the Jerusalem Post, Front Page Magazine, and other leading outlets. And she has a new book we'll discuss today as well. Shelley, welcome back to A View from the Wall. Thanks for having me, Dylan. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. And you have a completely new book for us. And I can tell it was uh, an important one just from the start. And it was a pleasure to look at, but it was also hard to look at in some ways because it deals with one of the most tragic events of our past century, talking about the Holocaust. So as we begin, I want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your new work, how you were involved in it, and why it's such a unique and important publication for today. Right. Well, thanks for bringing some attention to this. And you're right. It is a hard read. It's not an exciting adventure tale like like the Copper Scroll Project. But this one is called The Auschwitz Album Revisited. And it's been a labor of love. It was It's basically photo documentation through art of the only surviving photographic evidence of the Nazi selection process. And we have these photos because after Auschwitz was liberated, a young girl survivor named Lily Jacob, she was waiting for medical treatment in the SS barracks and she got cold and she started rummaging around for a blanket and she found a jacket of an SS officer and and put it on to warm herself. And inside the pocket of the jacket was a small photo album with about 200 pictures. And when she started looking through it, and this is where you just feel like the hand of God in every piece of the story. But when she started looking through the album, it was her community. It was pictures of her community from Hungary when they first arrived to Auschwitz, coming off the trains and being separated in the fit to work and not fit to work lines, like how the Nazis would decide basically who lived or died. And so and where she was at wasn't even at Auschwitz. She was recovering in in a place in Germany, many, many miles away from Auschwitz. So it's just such a sort of like God, God ordained coincidence that it was the last moments of some of her family members before they would be sent in the not fit to work lines, which would mean that they would go to the gas chambers. And so the pictures tell us a lot because besides the, the journals and the testimonies and the And the survivor stories, we really didn't know what they knew when they arrived to these concentration camps. But you can see in the eyes of the women and children that they had probably heard rumors, but that they certainly didn't have the look of panic in their eyes as if they knew that they were about to be sent to their death in gas chambers. I mean, they just had a look of fear in terms of 
not knowing the next steps or not knowing if certain rumors were true. But um, and it's usually the women and children and elderly that are sent into a field to wait and they're told that they're not fit to work, but they're sent into a field and what they're awaiting is the gas chambers. And so Willie survived the war and later donated. People would travel from all over to, to come see if the booklet had pictures of their families in their last moments. And she ended up living in the U.S. And so some pictures were taken out of the album because they were personal and special to, to the survivors whose families were lost. But she ended up donating it to Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum in Israel. So I worked together with the Christian friends of Yad Vashem, and they were able to give me the high-resolution images, and I paired them with paintings that one of my colleagues, Pat Hutchins, did. She made 40 paintings that were inspired by the actual photographs, and she was a portrait artist. She has since passed away, but... She wanted to honor the victims. She wanted to paint them in the same way that a portrait would honor anyone who would hire her for that process. And so she at first just would focus on women and children, but she just kept going. It, it was just the mission that energized the, her life. And she actually got diagnosed with serious cancer in that process. And so she kept painting through her chemo and ultimately passed away in this last sort of final passion work that she did. And so she never got to write the booklet. And so I wanted to do it in her place to both. So it's kind of a, a double memorial, a double honoring, you know, I'm honoring the victims of the Holocaust and also my colleague who uh, did this amazing thing that I wanted to be able to put in front of people. I'm so glad you did this, Shelley. When we were in Israel, we got to visit Yad Vashem, and anybody who's been there knows the impact of walking through that uh, memorial and seeing the pictures and all of the things that were recovered from those events. It's a story that we can't forget, and we're going to talk more about what's going on in Israel in the second segment, but set it up for us just a little bit, the upheaval between Israel and its neighbors, what's going on over there, kind of set up what we're going to be talking about in that next segment. 4,000 rockets have been fired from Gaza. Thankfully, that Israel's Iron Dome has intercepted the majority, especially the ones headed to places with higher, denser populations in Israel. The main difference this time around, because certainly this isn't the first time that Hamas has fired rockets into Israel, but the main difference is that Hamas's rockets have gotten better. Their trajectory is longer, and they're not just hitting border towns of Gaza anymore. They can reach Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, and that means they're putting 70% of Israelis within range of fire. So in some ways, this feels familiar and similar to what happened in 2009, 2012, and 2014. Um, but in other ways, we're in uncharted waters because they've fired 4,000, but they, they have 30,000. Um, so Israel wants to, to take care of this threat once and for all. Well, that's a good way to put it, and we'll talk more about that in the next segment, but it's certainly an important issue for Christians especially. We want to support the Jewish people as well as the land where many of the events of the Bible took place. So stick with us, and we'll be back in a moment to talk more with Shelly Meese here on A View from the Wall. From I Am A Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am A Watchman Minute. 
Jonah was a man with great ups and downs. He falls into sin several times in the small four-chapter book that bears his name. Most are familiar with how Jonah ran from God and soon found himself in trouble at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish. However, in chapter 2, we read, Then Jonah remembered God. And as Jonah confessed his sin and committed himself to God, he found God's mercy and led a great revival. In the story of Jonah, we see that great sin is no match for God's grace. The Bible says, When we seek Him, we will find Him. Jonah was not perfect. Before the story is over, he will sin again. But let us see that when Jonah turned to God, he was blessed by God. It's a timeless truth we should hold on to today. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. Iamawatchman.com Welcome back to A View from the Wall. As we continue our conversation today with Shelley Neese, we want to talk more about Israel and the Middle East current events that are taking place before us now. Shelley, you lived in Israel for several years. What is it like being in the nation when the sirens go off, the rockets start exploding, you're forced to rush to a bomb shelter? Explain for us what it's like to be in that situation. I lived in Israel during the second intifada. So that was from 2000 to 2003. And that means Israel hadn't yet pulled out of Gaza and Hamas hadn't taken over the Gaza Strip via their coup. So our problems were really different back then, although substantial. But those were the years of the suicide bombings. Do you remember the, when people would shop on suicide vests and walk into Sabara pizza parlors or Passover dinners and hotels and they would blow themselves up? So then it was always just this unknown. You would have to get your bag checked to go into the mall or the bus station to make sure. And people, if if you left your bag somewhere, people would call suspicious objects and Israeli police would show up out of nowhere to, to make sure it wasn't an intentional bomb. And I would be on the bus and I just remember it'd be the dead of summer and someone would get on with a large overcoat in the heat of summer and you would, I would just get off, you know, just, just in case. There's just this very unsettling time because you never knew who the enemies was or where their next target was. And it was, um, yeah, it was a rough, a rough few years for sure. I lived in a town called Beersheba, which was not as important as Jerusalem. And so it turns out that was a blessing at the time. But now it's rockets. And so now you're right. It's the issue of the bomb shelters and how quickly you could get to the bomb shelters. And that's all just been since the IDF lost their presence and, and all of the settlers that had lived in Gaza had pulled out in 2003. So there's no Israeli presence in, in Gaza. So they've been allowed to just store up these huge caches of rockets and get better and better range. And you know, a lot of Israelis, I'm getting on WhatsApp, I'll get these videos from Israeli friends there. And the ones that aren't so obliging and don't go into the shelters will take videos of the Iron Dome, of the way it looks whenever the Iron Dome intercepts a Hamas rocket on its way to its target. And so it's like they treat it like a July 4th firework show. But the people that I'm most concerned with, and it's turned out to be for legitimate reasons or just the friends that can't get to the shelters or to the safe rooms quickly enough. And so that happened in Ashkelon. A woman, a Holocaust survivor actually 
was with her uh, Indian woman who was her caregiver, and she just couldn't make it to safety quick, quick enough. She couldn't make it to the bomb shelter, and she is really, really injured and, and in the hospital, and her caregiver was actually killed. So, and I have my own friends that, that live in Beersheba that um, are handicapped and can't quite make it to the bomb shelter in time. And so those are the people that I just, any time that you hear more rockets are headed towards Beersheba or more rockets are headed towards Ashkelon, I just get a sick feeling in my spirit, just praying and hoping that, that they can get to safety in time. It's different looking at it from this side of the pond, obviously. If you, you've reported for the Jerusalem Post before, and so you know leaders in probably in the IDF. We have a mutual friend in the Knesset. And um, so you probably reported on this kind of events differently when you were over there. Give us an idea what would be happening in some of those meetings and what you'd be reporting on if you were there now. Right. Well, as you, as a lot of your listeners probably know, this is also unprecedented that Israel has had four elections in less than two years. And it looks like they quite possibly might be headed to their fifth election. So for the moment, Benjamin Netanyahu is still the one with hands on the will, so to speak. But, but he wasn't able, again, to form a majority government in the Knesset. And so that task has been moved to another opposing party. And I mean, all Americans just need to be so thankful for our little simple two party, two party, um, you know, presidential bicameral system, because the parliamentary system is complicated. And it has never been more complicated than the last two years. So for me, and for all Israel analysts, we're just having a hard time knowing who is making what decisions. Now, for the moment, all Netanyahu and the leaders that have sworn to never be in a government with him, they all are speaking with one unified voice that Israel must take care of this threat, that Israel must defend itself. And so in that way, it's been a nice little respite from the last two years that have just been constant political strife and inability to make any movement domestically or nationally on Israel's part because they've been lacking a leader. So that's just the strange thing. Usually Israel speaks with one voice at times like this, but it's more the Israeli public that 70, upwards of 70% of Israelis right now are polling that they are not ready for a ceasefire, that they want Israel to keep tackling the Hamas targets. But that's from the people. And so at least that's the one thing that they all seem to be agreeing on, because politically, it's just it's been a mess the last couple of years. Well, that's a good way to put it. It has been a mess. And for many people, they don't even know the players, the reasons behind the conflict. So let's back up a little bit in this last minute or so of our segment and help people understand who is Hamas, what is it about their presence in the Gaza Strip that's concerning, where are these weapons coming from, why are they so driven to attack Israelis and civilian targets? Just give us a brief glimpse of what the players are and what the situation is. Right. Well, so Hamas took power in the Gaza Strip in 2003. The U.S. recognizes Hamas as a terrorist group. So when we hear about the U.S. weighing in on a ceasefire in, to this conflict, they are only talking to Israel. The U.S. does not talk to Hamas because we recognize them as a terrorist organization. So that has to be done through Egypt. And Egypt is 
has shares a border with Gaza, so Egypt has to be in constant communication with Hamas. And by the way, Egypt is much harsher when it comes to Hamas than even Israel is. Maybe not with, you know, Air Force strikes or um, from the air, but certainly from the ground. When Hamas comes in and comes in with their tunneling systems to try and smuggle weapons through the Egyptian border, uh, Egypt just comes in and they will bulldoze everything in their way. So, so Egypt probably is the right party to be talking to Hamas whenever that turn comes. And they are very popular among the Palestinian public. So right now, the Palestinian Authority, so that, just to like provide some context, that is the Palestinian entity that's in charge of the West Bank, and Hamas is in charge of Gaza. So there's definitely a divided Palestinian polity on both sides. And they hate each other, absolutely. But for that reason, the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank has not had a democratic election in 15 years. So Mahmoud Abbas has been the Palestinian Authority chairman for 15 years. And that is mostly out of fear that Hamas could win an election on that side, too, and that Hamas could control both the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. So, I mean, if you can imagine rockets coming in to Israel from both sides, from the West Bank and from Gaza, it would just be a nightmare. So we really, even though it's completely corrupt and it's completely undemocratic to not have elections in 15 years, you don't really hear a lot of outside international leaders pushing the Palestinian Authority to move towards elections either, because everyone is very fearful about what that result will be. And that's one of the things that's the background to the conflict right now is that Hamas, when the Palestinian elections were canceled May 22nd, they huffed and puffed saying that it was Israel's fault because they wouldn't help them coordinate elections in East Jerusalem, but they absolutely were too scared to have elections. And maybe Israel was scared for them to have elections as well, but they th- but there wasn't heavy-handed intervening on their part. Israel doesn't want to be seen as someone stopping Palestinian democracy. And so that is one reason why Hamas has leaned in so heavily right now. This is the way Hamas campaigns. This is their version of a political campaign. And they want to show the Palestinian people that they are the better protectors of Jerusalem, the better defenders of Jerusalem. And they're the ones to fight for Jerusalem's sovereignty under Muslim rules. So, so that's one thing that we're seeing right now. This is, this is a political move on their part when the when the elections were canceled, which they were probably looking forward to. Well, this is important information. We'll be right back for more here on A View from the Wall. Stick with us. The rapture can happen at any time. You may be ready, but are your friends and family spiritually prepared for the coming of the Lord? What will happen to those left behind? We've created a new resource to help you help them. It's called the Rapture Kit. Included in the Rapture Kit is a Bible and vital information on what the Rapture is and how to prepare for what's to come. The Rapture Kit also includes eight books on prophecy, apologetics, the Christian walk, and being a watchman for the Lord, plus a number of video and audio teachings all preloaded on an eight gigabyte flash drive. Become more strategic and active in your witnessing. Warn the lost about the coming rapture and help individuals in the post-rapture world be drawn to Christ, equipping them to become the next generation of ministry leaturesi Learn more and order at rapturekit.org. 
Welcome back to A View from the Wall. In our last segment today with Shelly Neese of the Jerusalem Connection, we want to talk about some of the end times connections that are taking place in our world today, as well as ways we can get involved in addressing the challenges of our time. So Shelly, as we continue our discussion today, take a moment to share about the Jerusalem Connection that you lead and how people can get involved in the work that you're doing there. Right. So one of our biggest missions is to help educate and activate Christians on the talking points and prayer points about what is going on in Israel. From what we know and understand, I mean, there's 80 million evangelicals in America, and most of those are pro-Israel. They just don't, they're not necessarily educated on how to pray for Israel, how to support Israel. Certainly the younger generation doesn't really, they can't really counter what they're hearing on their campuses and from their universities and from all of these different organizations that boycott Israel and just provide a lot of misinformation. So we're trying to to counter that through lots of different things. Lately, we've been really pushing towards scholarships for Christian university students to go and study at Hebrew University because there's nothing like seeing it with your own eyes and walking the land and witnessing the conflict. I mean, certainly I am who I am today because I was able to study in Israel and and really committed my life's work to that. So so that's one of the things we do. And if people visit our website, the JerusalemConnection.us, we have two videos that we put out each week. One is usually more Bible-based in terms of just why we support Israel because of what is written in the Bible, and the other is much more action-based in terms of what is happening in the land and, you know, in terms of our own political leaders and who is walking away from the traditional U.S.-Israel alliance. And so we just try and put all of that before people, knowing that their instinct and their heart and their Bible reading and the Holy Spirit pushes them towards being pro-Israel. They just haven't been able to articulate what that means. Shelley, we like to bring everything back to the light of God's word when we talk about Israel. So as Christians, we see the description of the end times from the book of Daniel, Revelation, and of course what Jesus said in Matthew 24 about Israel in the last days. You've lived there. What do Jews believe about the last days? Right. So all you have to do is sort of take the train from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv and you realize that there's two very different kinds of Israelis. I mean, there's very religious Jews that are usually living in and around Jerusalem or the South and, and very, very secular Israelis usually living in, in Tel Aviv. From what I've witnessed, religious Jews far and wide are calling for redemption. They know, they feel that something is coming and they know that they're supposed to be looking out for the Messiah. Secular Jewish people, especially right now, especially after these last two years of just complete political turmoil, it reminds me a lot of what we read in the New Testament of Jews just being so frustrated with Roman oppression and looking for a political savior just like they were 2,000 years ago, just living under Rome's heavy hand. They want someone to come and fix this because it feels unsolvable on human terms. 
Well, this is so important to actually talk with someone who's lived there, who's seen what it's like in Israel, not seeing only secondhand reports in media today that are often only giving one side of the picture. So we appreciate that so much. And as we wrap up our time with you today, what are some things you can tell people who are listening right now who want to support the people of Israel, the Jewish people, and want to do something to apply their faith in these issues in the time that we live in today? How can you encourage those who are listening? Sure. So I would say twofold on a political action level. This is the first time with all of these fringe congressional leaders, this is the first time that we're really seeing Congress pressure the president to condemn Israel. And so that's, that's one thing that I just find really alarming, but also put back in the power of the voters to contact our congressmen to encourage them to not walk away from Israel, but to stand with our traditional ally on a spiritual level. Um, which is the most important level. I have really felt that every night I was going to pray one of the Psalms of the Ascent, which the Psalms of the Ascent are Psalms 120 to 134. And these are the Psalms that the Jews would pray on feast and festival days. So Sukkot, Passover, Shavuot, when they were going up to Jerusalem to make their sacrifices. So all of the Psalms are you know, just putting Jerusalem at the forefront, praying for the priests of Jerusalem, praying for the safety of Jerusalem's gates. Yeah, so it's a bit of a Psalms challenge to just pray Psalms 120 through 134, one each night, and really to focus on the current conflict with these ancient words. Well, this is such vital information, and we do appreciate you being with us today. Before we let you go, where can people go to get more information about your ministry and to get a copy of your book? Sure. So if you visit the JerusalemConnection.us or shorter version, TJCI.org, and there you'll find a link to the Auschwitz album, um, to our regular videos, and to yeah, just our news feed of what's going on. <laughs> it's just it's an ever-moving target, and the news is changing by the minute. Oh, great. And thank you for listening today to A View from the Wall. And we encourage you to listen again at IamAWatchman.com. You can sign up for our latest e-newsletter there, download a free book, and enjoy all of our other free resources to help you in your spiritual journey. Join us next time here on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.